DC Universe is in your average streaming service. Not only can you watch your favorite superheroes and villains in action, but you can read over 22,000 digital comics, all while connecting with DC fans in their interactive community forum. DC Universe is available on your favorite devices. Get 15% off your first three months with code NFL. Valid for monthly subscription only. Expires May 31st, 2020. Redeem at dcuniverse.com slash join. Join for a free seven-day trial. Visit dcuniverse.com slash join. It's the Ringer NFL Show, part of the Ringer Podcast Network. I'm Kevin Clark. Great show today. Two guests I love. We have Danny Kelly to talk drafts, specifically the guys we're not talking enough about. Really interesting discussion. I learned a lot. I feel a lot smarter having done it. And we have Adam Lefko from Bleacher Report and Turner, uh, one of my favorite people in media. Let's get to Adam. Okay, we have Adam Lefko, one of my favorite people in, not, I was going to say football media, but you're in every every sport at this point adam you're the host of tuesday nights on tnt nba uh which we all miss very much um you did the one i will say this i'm very very rarely jealous professionally of anybody i I think we're all very lucky to do our job yeah when you were chopping it up with phil mickelson and tiger woods that was the one thing where i was like i i wish i was on that stage and what's funny is they weren't even in the top two people there like Phil Mickelson and Tiger Woods, sure, but I was also with Samuel L. Jackson and Charles Barkley, you know, like <laughs> sitting next to Samuel L. Jackson and he looks over and he goes, Adam. And in my first, I went, he knows my name. And then he goes, <laughs> he goes, these guys suck. And I was like, they do suck, Samuel L. Jackson. What a conversation. Yeah, dude, it was wild. Wow. Or do you want those guys to play again? These rumors now that they might pair up with Brady and Manning now. Ooh, they need they need more people out there. I w- still wish yeah. people could have heard Samuel L. Jackson, Pat Perez, and Charles Barkley talking the entire time because what they were saying was comedy. But they needed, you know, the the social lubricant uh, to talk a little bit more. But I don't. Manning is good. I don't know if Brady will be good for that. He'll be short. I I did a I did a piece years ago on Manning and about how much trash not not necessarily trash he talks but what he liked liked to do was take his rookie linemen or rookie receivers out golfing and kind of micromanage them just to get him up to them up to speed on how he acts in practice like I mean I if, if you play golf with Peyton Manning you're gonna understand how to practice with Peyton Manning because he's telling you exactly what to do he's telling you where to put the putt all that stuff so he liked to do that sort of thing at the rookie golf outing. So I always thought that was interesting. I did like Kyle Porter had an idea from, from CBS that to spice it up, you have tiger and Phil, and then each guy gets paired with one of Obama and Trump. That's how you raise money for coronavirus. Yeah, if that's possible. That'll take it over the top. So I actually heard this. Um, Mahomes has been golfing like all off season uh, before all this happened. Now he's obviously quarantined. But I heard on one of the trips, one of the person people in his foursome was Jim Nance. And I oh. hear that apparently Jim Nance will broadcast your strokes yes. while you're yes. golfing. I know Mahomes was like, bro, it's crazy. Cause like you line up and he goes, Mahomes from 160 looking for birdie. And they just couldn't handle it. They were like dying laughing. So I recently saw some videos of this, of Nance calling this. And they were on somebody's phone. Some people, like golf writers, have put them on Twitter and stuff. But there was someone who showed me this that was in their cell phone. 
And what killed me was exactly what you said, you know, Mahomes from 160. But the funniest thing he does is he does a pitch perfect. He'll do, he'll throw promos in there. It'll be like so-and-so from 160. uh, Take a break right now. We have a wonderful CSI on Sunday. And he just crushes it. And then he seamlessly goes back into the stroke. Jim Nance is a pro. All right, so like you mentioned me doing NBA. The thing is, is when you watch the best broadcasters that can go from sport to sport, it doesn't even seem like they're human. Like Tarico, Nance, Ernie, um, I would even say like Kevin Harlan. Um, it, there, there's a, a Dan Patrick. Like they get on and they have like that Ryan Seacrest vibe where you go, I don't know if I've ever seen them make a mistake. Like they just seem so perfect. And it's it's just wild because they can do it from the green at your local course to Augusta, and it doesn't matter. All right. Well, I could talk about Jim Nance and Ryan Seacrest <laughs> all day, but we're going to get to football because you host a very excellent football podcast called The Left Go Show. Used yes, to be yeah. Sims and Left Go, and now yeah. and now uh, you guys are both thriving. And now we're killing it. Yeah, he kicked him out. He <laughs> kicked him out. Um, and so I want to talk to you about this season and the weirdness of it all and what's going to happen once we get games. So the NFL says it's business as usual. I don't, you know, first of all, OTAs will be canceled. I think that there will be training camp at some point. You know, I, the fan stuff is interesting to me, whether or not they, you know, I, I, I would assume that the first thing that goes is, is, you know, not only open training camps, but probably pre some preseason games as well. Hall of fame game type stuff. I don't think it's going to be business as usual, but I also don't think they're going to cancel the season. If you think about knowing, you know, we both know NFL players, we both know how they operate. We both know just how either how locked in they get, you know, during OTAs or whatever. And then they have their 4th of July lull. How does this change things when we think about just they're not almost like 2011 where there's a lockout, but it's a little different because we don't know anything about the future. How does this change the 2020 season? First, I'm, I'm like taken aback at the brashness of the NFL right now. And I always go back to the Mark Cuban quote about, you know, pigs get fat and hogs get slaughtered because the NFL is literally the only entity right now that's like, it's business as usual. By the way, the schedule comes out May 9th, buy season (laughs) tickets. It's crazy. So uh, I feel like they are, they're like, oh, we're a fall sport. We're good. And I, I think in terms of like real football, I think a lot of the new coaching staffs are in trouble. Uh, and three of them are in the NFC East, like Giants, Dallas, uh, Washington, Carolina, and Cleveland. Like those are new coaches and they usually get extra time and now they're getting less time. Um, I, I'm, I'm hearing people say it's not going to affect scouting. It's not going to affect the draft. Uh, they, they say, yeah, you know what? How about the draft from the Pittsburgh Steelers back in 1974? Yeah. They did that without a combine. And I'm like, it's 1974. There's a reason you're going back that far. Um, I, I think that players themselves, a lot of them, because of Tom Brady, because of LeBron James, are investing in big-time home gyms and nutritionists, where I think when this first started, I know a lot of guys that were getting two to three weeks of meals prepared for them. Um, I think that the at-home, in terms of keeping their bodies in shape, now I think there's a lot of dudes that really take the off-season kind of easy, and it's going to be harder for them to come back, but... I think about coaching staffs and just, I don't know, the the way the NFL is pushing along like there's no issue. Mm-hmm. I have a feeling that, you know, come September, when we're trying to file in for preseason games, it's it's going to be messy. All right. Do you think 
This is something Chris Long and I talked about on Slow News Day. He thinks it, it it is an advantage for a team like the Chiefs. I think the one thing he said that I didn't even think about was when you win a Super Bowl, and he has, you're strangely just kind of bleh about football after because you just got so much of it, and and you're just kind of not, you know, you're, you're st- you don't want to say a Super Bowl hangover, but you're you're still in I won the Super Bowl mode. Um, and he thinks that this is actually going to help the Chiefs in the sense that they're going to be football starved. They're not going to be able to go into OTAs. And, you know, if someone wanted to sleepwalk through those, that's not going to happen because they're just not going to happen. And so I think that there's going to kind of be a recharge there. I think it'll favor teams like the Ravens who are just, you know, we know what they are and they're at it. They're only adding veterans. And I also see the, the, the idea that maybe things are going to be so weird. There might be just so much randomness because there's not training camp that, that maybe there's a couple surprises. But I am inclined to think it's going to favor more of the Chiefs and the Ravens than a more kind of random team that might get, might get lucky because the season's going to be so sloppy. I think you're look at the off seasons of Patrick Mahomes. After his first off season, the big storylines were Patrick Mahomes turns down endorsements to focus on football. Last off season, right. I mean, Patrick Mahomes did, he did as many commercials as as Baker Mayfield. They were just local in Kansas City. You don't have him going on a media tour. You don't have him doing commercials. There is no distraction. You know, you're not even getting, you're not getting anything. These guys are locked at home. I agree with you guys completely about Kansas City. The other team, though, that I think has wild consistency is the Saints. I, I think of all the teams in the NFL, they added Emmanuel Sanders, but they kept all of their other running backs, wide receivers. They got all of their offensive line back. They have all of their D line back. They added AJ Klein. And now when you add Malcolm Jenkins, who already knows that team and knows Sean Payton, I, I, for me, I'm very inclined right now as it's March or excuse me, April 1st, 2020 to say like the Saints are my Super Bowl pick in April 1st. I just. The consistency, the year for Drew Brees to go out in style, he finally has a number two. And with all this craziness, I think Sean Payton and Drew Brees are made to start hot. I completely agree with you. It's one of those things and I've talked to a lot of old quarterbacks who went into advanced age, whether that's Matt Hasselbeck or Rich Gannon or whomever. And they said that the best argument for keeping a coordinator or a play caller and a quarterback together for the long haul is that they have an institutional knowledge where Drew Brees can can go up to Sean Payton on a Monday and say, hey, we ran this play in 2008. Let's just do this again. And and you don't get that if you're a new quarterback or a new coach or a young quarterback or a young coach. I mean, that they the ability to hit the ground running is going to be so massive this year. And Brees and Payton can definitely do that. So it'll be it'll be interesting. All right. I want to talk about what, what happens once we have a season, because I think that the biggest thing last year, even though Brady's going to Tampa, even though we just saying the virtues of Drew Brees. I think the biggest thing that happened last year was the passing of the torch between the generation I kind of call the forever quarterback, Brady, Brees, Rivers, obviously Peyton Manning's out, Carson Palmer's out, that that kind of crew, um, and some of the guys who retired before Eli. that. And, and Eli Manning, the, the one of that, I believe a he is no longer the the most the highest paid player in history of football, but he's still in the top three. Who passed him? Uh, over the cap guys said Drew Brees passed him last year. Without a doubt, Breeze is going to pass him this year. There's some, there's some uh, debate about the leaderboard, but no matter what happens, Breeze in 2020 will become the highest paid player in history. But then the over-the-cap guy says that already happened. Jason Fitzgerald. Interesting. Okay. Either way, a lot of money flowing into yeah. his pockets, especially Eli Manning. Um, 
And so, they really only made four times Chase Daniel, which is incredible. I, I want to talk about this. Are you worried, because I am, that Chase Daniel's podcast can be so good that we're all going to lose our jobs? No, I think you're crazy. Like I, When you respond, you're like, Chase is the man. I was like, look, Chase Daniel is, to me, he he's known for taking Drew Brees' uh, itinerary, going yeah. to the Chiefs with it, going to Nick Foles, being this incredible locker room. I'm reading articles right now about Gary Pinkle saying, check out his his record. You know, like 11 of the, eight of the 11 years he's been in the league, his team's gone to the playoffs. And I'm like- He's a winner. I'm like, come on, guys. It's, it's Drew Brees and Carson Wentz. At, what are you guys talking? I don't know. I, I think that his ability to on a day where there was a million quarterback storylines, it was a week where Tom Brady goes to the Bucks, Philip Rivers goes to the Colts, uh, Cam Newton gets released, one of the busiest quarterback weeks yeah. in history, and our guy just calmly and quietly collected $13 million. That was my favorite thing, too, is that Patricia said, you want to have winners in the locker room like Chase Daniel, because if I'm getting down to my final 53, I'm taking Chase Daniel over Darius Slay every day. It's just sometimes the rhetoric is insane. Could you imagine like Matt Stafford practicing next to Chase Daniel, like one of the best arms in the history mm. of football against Chase Daniel and Matt Patricia called Chase Daniel a winner. Chase Daniel has made $34 million in his career. And at the end of this contract, if he lives to see it, uh, it as from a football standpoint, it will be $47 million. I love it. The Kirk Cousins of backups. Just a king, just a king. All right, so let's let's play a game here because I think that the because the passing of the torch has happened to the younger generation. I think that there's, I think that that's fluid, and I think that you might see, you know, on January first of last year, people were talking about Lamar Jackson, and in a weird way, they'd almost forgotten about Patrick Mahomes. That reversed itself. In fact, Greg Bishop from Sports Illustrated went to Kansas City in December and literally wrote like a "I'm still here" story interviewing Patrick Mahomes because people had just forgotten about how good he was. And part of that was the injury. Part of that was just the weird year. Part of that was just how dynamic Lamar Jackson was. Mm. I want to, I want to play a game here. So I want to go, who do we think is the best quarterback after this year? Who do we think it's going to be in five years and 10 years? And I also think that we can't pick the same person for more than one thing. So you have to prioritize, take me through the next 10 years of quarterbacking Adam Lefko. Oh, you want to start off with 10 first? Uh, no, no. We'll go, we'll go one first. Okay. We'll, well, we'll move up. It, because I can't pick the same guy. So for me, this is You want to pick Mahomes for all three, don't you? Um, Kind of, but I really like my other ones. So okay, go ahead. For one year, I am going to take Drew Brees. And I'm not saying it's going to be the best quarterback play, but the reason is, one, he's desperate, right? One, we're going for a title. Two, Tom Brady is now in his division, and he is a few thousand yards ahead of him, six touchdown passes ahead when you only count regular season. We know the statistics matter, and he finally has Emmanuel Sanders, and in my mind, the most consistent offensive line play Barring injury, but they're all back right now. I feel like when I look at Drew, I want him for one year. And I'm not even a big Drew Brees guy. Like, I will get in a fight with Saints fans online about how I'm not sure he's a top 10 quarterback. Like, I I get a little crazy, but I want him for one year. (laughs) For five years, I'm going Kyler Murray. 
I'm going oh, Kyler wow. Murray. Because I love that. I know I'm going to have DeAndre Hopkins for at least two or three. I think Larry Fitzgerald's crazy enough to maybe even give me two more. I don't even think he's a top guy, but having him in the locker room with other wide receivers is huge. Uh, I also think the meat of Kyler Murray's contract allows me to flesh out that O-line, talent around him, get more defense in there. I think that they've had a pretty good offseason already, but I just think you get what I want, which is three years on a rookie deal. So I can spend all the money elsewhere. And I was so impressed. And then I'm going Mahomes for 10 because I know that I'm going to get Andy Reid for at least five, six, seven more of those years. Mm -hmm. I think that Patrick Mahomes is the most talented quarterback of all time. And everyone's talking about how all the free agents want to flock down to Tampa Bay. I look up and I see Demarcus Robinson re-signing with the Chiefs for like pennies on the dollar. I I was hoping the Eagles were going to sign that guy and they got him as their fourth wide receiver. Look at the roster. I mean, the line is back. The weapons are back. It's me call. It's, it's everybody. And Chris Jones is still on the team, but all of that plus Mahomes, I I want him for as long as I can get him. Yeah, I was good. I'd pick Mahomes for 20 years at this point. And yeah. and if and if if we wanted to be boring, we would just like you could pick Patrick Mahomes for all of these things. I think for one year, and I think that this this he has the case to be five years, and quite frankly, has the case to be 10 years. But I think the infrastructure Baltimore is built around Lamar Jackson right now mm. is so unbelievable. And the Eric DaCosta team building job is so good, and his ability to Lamar's ability to capitalize on that. And I think he was one of the, you know, one of the smartest players in football last year. I think that what's interesting to me is that everything that Baltimore did such a good job coaching him, that Baltimore did such a good job building around him that I think he, in a weird way, gets, I, I think I want him right now. And I'm in, what I'm intrigued to see is what happens if, if, and maybe Eric DaCosta becomes, you know, the best GM like Ozzie Newsom was, and, and we never see him on a bad team. But I'm intrigued to see what happens if he gets kind of a Russell Wilson situation where he just doesn't uh, get help one year, and and we have to see Lamar Jackson where the he doesn't have one of the best team building jobs the last decade around him. And I think he can be really good. I just don't think he's the MVP in that situation. So having said that, Lamar Jackson. Um, who I just absolutely adore as a football player. I want him for the, for the 2020 season. I actually think that he's probably going to be top three again in the MVP conversation, along with Mahomes. And I, you know, I, I and and this is why I'm going to say my next guy because I think this guy's going to be good for the next five years too. It's it's Russell Wilson, and mm-hmm. and and part of that is I, and I think Kyler is an amazing. Um, option here, and I think that's good reasoning. And I think Cliff Kingsbury, his ability to adapt as the season went al- went along was was unbelievable. Um, no, not unbelievable is, is a stretch, but surprising. How about that? And I think that there's um, a lot going right in Arizona, but I think that Russell Wilson's ability to compete when his own team was stacking the deck against him suggests that he's going to be able to continue to have sustained success. Now, the contract is what it is. He's going to make next four years, every year is under 40, which is okay. And I think that in a year, in an era where Jared Goff's making 36 this year, I think cap hits of 31, 32, 37, and 39 are fine. That takes us up to the 2024 season when he'd be a free agent again, and we'll, we'll see where that goes. But he's going to be 31 through 34 in that during that contract. I still, I think he's going to age gracefully. I think he's such a smart quarterback. I'm taking I'm taking Russell Wilson for five years and then ten years I'm with you. Give me his Mahomes for as long as we can possibly have Mahomes. What's incredible about Russell Wilson is 
the Aaron Rodgers had to get hurt for him to get, move on from a very conservative coach because the team did so poorly. And that's never mm-hmm. happened with Russell Wilson. So we've kept the same guys there and the same mantra of running the ball and pounding the ball. And one of the things that I use every year when I'm picking records for the following year is I look at scores in one-score games. It's very known that this is a regression stat, that if you're incredible uh, in one-score games in one year, it'll probably go back. Like 2018, the Chargers and Cowboys were like nine and two in one-score games. This past year, they were like two and nine. But the one team that bucks that trend every year is the Seahawks. And in my mind, the only reason it's because of Russell Wilson. They were like seven and three in one score games two years ago. They were nine and two last year. Every game was Russell Wilson at the end making a play. And with consistency with Russ and Pete, it's uh, Russ is my favorite quarterback to watch in the NFL. It's just incredible how long he's been carrying them. And I always wonder how much better they could have been if there was more around him. Like an O line, oh yeah, like an O. I mean, at least the 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 line around Russ has gotten a little bit better. The philosophy around him hasn't. I mean, it's almost it's unbelievable. I remember someone once told me the rules of a sitcom are you spend twenty minutes getting your character in hot water and then spend ten minutes getting him out. Right, mm. that's how you write a sitcom. And it, that seems to also be just the Seahawks game strategy, which is just like let's see how we can not utilize Russell Wilson to the best of his abilities and get him in a one score game with the damn Cardinals or something or something like that. And where they're underachieving or playing down to the level of their competition. And then we'll give him a few minutes to make some unbelievable plays. And he normally does. I mean, I, I, I wish, I think he's appreciated because he won that Super Bowl and because he's a genuinely likable guy. And I think that people, you know, tend to gravitate towards him, but as a football player, I feel like he, in a strange way, he doesn't get enough credit for for the ability to overcome some of the uh, obstacles put in his way by by people who, but people like Pete Carroll, who can, who I, I think is still a really good coach. He just, sure, I just, I just don't think his philosophy jives with what 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 Russell Wilson should be doing. I just wish that every quarterback could get two years with Kyle Shanahan, just so we could see like the peak of their height. And then we can really compare them because Russell Wilson in his second year with Kyle Shanahan would be the greatest offense that the world's ever known. Is that is Russell Wilson your number one? I want to see him coached by Kyle Shanahan guy. Oh, yeah, because then what he could do with like the read option, like we we've seen a lot of Kyle Shanahan with Matt Ryan. Uh, We saw him turn uh, Matt Schaub into a stud. But what he Mm -hmm. did with that one year of RG three. To me, it it shook us to our core. Like even Matt Ryan putting up all those stats with the Falcons, it was great. I mean, he had a huge year with the Browns. I mean, he was doing big things with uh, Brian Hoyer and uh, Johnny Manziel. So for me, Russell Wilson is definitely up there. We're past. I mean, Mahomes is number one for anything. Um, and then I look at guys that I want to be saved right now. And if if anyone could hit the escape button for Deshaun Watson, I'd, I'd love it. God, Deshaun Watson's my number one. Let's get him coached by anybody who's not the, his current coach guy. I mean, it, offensively, he is he is Private Ryan, and we must do <laughs> what we need to break him out of there. I, I think that the ch- Bill O'Brien might be the luckiest man ever. And, and stay with me. I think that he's been really trying to destroy this team, and then every year he's just so lucky they make the playoffs. I think we're actually looking at wrong. He's trying to mess it up, but he can't because he's the luckiest man alive. He is, 
he's very, very much. Uh, I, I think he may have succeeded this year. I think DeAndre Hopkins to Arizona. <laughs> and the other thing that I don't understand about the Hopkins trade is if you're gonna, tra- if you're saying that he's, he is, um, you need to get him out or whatever. I, if you say you know, he's become such a distraction or whatever, you got to get him out of town, whatever. But don't trade him to Cliff Kingsbury and Kyler Murray and uh, where they're going to go and spread it out and he's going to get a trillion yards. And I, I saw Mike Sando on The Athletic had a piece today and he had an anonymous scout or a executive kind of say that they, the word is the Hopkins skills have slightly diminished the last couple of years, his physical skills. And that might be true, but his numbers are probably going to go up because, I mean, they're going to be throwing the ball over the place. That's a wide open offense. I, I think Bill O'Brien traded him to a very bad place if you wanted him to have some bad numbers. There's there are a lot worse quarterbacks and a lot worse offensive coaches that I would have traded him to if all I wanted was a second round pick and a mediocre running back. Right. That's all. I I don't know where David Johnson is in terms of his athletic ability, but also it's a second round pick in a year where you're not having pro days in a year where you can't meet with players. And in a year where you're suddenly the GM, your scouting departments all over the place, the value of that second round pick now is so muddled. So in our, in our trade mind, we go, Oh, that aligns with Jimmy Johnson's values. But right now I look at it and go, there's even more doubt about a team that got absolutely hosed by the Eagles when they traded up to get Andre Dillard last year. Like that was the flub of the draft. And now you're giving away Hopkins for a running back that we don't know and a second round pick in a year that we have no idea. It's Bill O'Brien. It is Bill O'Brien. All right. I want to talk about the NFC East real quick. You are an Eagles fan. Are you, I see this right. You're, you're Twitch, you're streaming Madden games this week. Yeah, so uh, Bleach Report is doing the BR Goat Sims where they're putting the best player in the history of the team's franchise at each position. Um, so for the Giants, it'll be like Michael Strahan, uh, Lawrence Taylor, all those guys. And yeah, I'm, I'm going to I'm gonna go hard. Like I'm going to wear a blazer. Uh, it's going to be on the Bleach Report Twitch stream. But uh, also, I just, I want to do play-by-play. I'm in my apartment. I need to talk. <laughs> it has to okay. happen. So you're the Eagles and and Giants is the the next one up in real life. That's not much of a competition, but I want to talk about the NFC East because on this podcast we default towards overrating the Eagles. That's my fault. Um, that's okay. my co-host Robert Mays's fault. We picked them to win the Super Bowl last year, and uh, we regretted it almost from the moment the season started. From an Eagles fan's case, very educated Eagles fan, where should I be picking the Eagles this year? So if we're looking looking at the NFC as a whole, in my mind, the two teams that are definitely staying in the playoffs are the Niners and Saints. I just mm-hmm. the Niners had so many injuries and they were still there. In terms of teams I think could fall out, I think the Vikings. Uh it, teams that I have doubt of, but it's still Russell Wilson and Rodgers, it's Packers and Seahawks. I see the Eagles kind of right where they were last year, fighting with the Cowboys for the NFC East. And then it's almost like fighting with the Bucks if they don't get it for the wild card. I see them uh, a little bit ahead of the the Cardinals, Falcons, Lions, Giants, Rams, but I see them man, I got questions about wide receiver still. You know, this Alshon situation is a mess and Howie Roseman, look, this is the best wide receiver draft in years, but he took Arthega Whiteside last year over Metcalf and McLaurin. So, I don't know if he's going to take the right guy. Uh, I'm not sure if Andre Dillard is the left tackle play over now that Jason Peters is gone. 
I love the defensive line. Um, but it's also, what are we going to get out of Carson Wentz? So I look at them anywhere between an nine and seven, 11 and five, like fighting for a wild card or maybe winning the NFC East. I see them around there. You don't see any path barring some huge move towards getting in the upper echelon with the Saints. And the I Niners, can right? because of what I said earlier about coaching, because the Giants, Washington and Dallas all have new coaches you know, that's six of your 16 games. If they, you know, usually they split with the Cowboys. If they can do a clean sweep, now they're now they're talking about possibly moving into that top tier record-wise. Right. Um, I think, I, I I can't tell. I did mean a Kimes' podcast yesterday. I couldn't, I can't get a read on Dallas because I think Dallas right. and Cleveland are in the same boat, which is, I think that, I think Dallas has a more talented roster than Cleveland, um, but I think Cleveland has a really, really talented roster. Um, but I can't tell how many wins I should be adding to their, their roster because they just have a co- more competent coach. I can't tell whether or not the Cowboys, you know, I, I think there was, there were probably 10 to 15 coaches last year, looking back on it, that could have won 12 games with that Cowboys roster. So I look at the Cowboys like the, if you look at the last six years, they win the division, they fall off. They win the division, they fall off. They're inconsistent. You know, teams are like their owners. Jerry Jones made his money in oil. Hey, we found it. Oh, we need to find another one. Hey, we got it. They were 0-5 in one score games last year. They were 9-2 the year before. So that's going to come back. I worry about Travis Frederick being gone. Like you lose your center, that's crazy. And they also swapped out their D-line for the Panthers D-line. They got Gerald McCoury and Don Terry Poe. Poe's coming off a torn quad. So I, I look at it. Dallas was 10th against the run last year. The Panthers were 29th. So I, they're right there with the Eagles where I see a lot of talent, but I see a lot of holes in the new coach kind of scares me. Yes. But again, I, I feel I, that's why but I'm having he's more such a consistent hard time. than Garrett. Yeah. Right. And that's why. And I just think the philosophy is probably better having spent I'm not saying this is going to change his philosophy but the guy studied analytics all year last year he probably has a little more open mind about certain things I think Garrett just believed in execution over philosophy and quite frankly even play calling um to the point that I just feel like everything in a run stale there I think McCarthy might open it up a little bit more man I'm just envisioning McCarthy studying analytics and I'm like he went to PFF does he think that means like memorizing numbers like I, they all McCarthy do. is studying analytics, learning when to listen to analytics. I think it's more about, yeah, when to, when to listen to it. I, I think it's more than just going forward on fourth down. I mean, I think so much of it, I actually talked to an analytics guy this week and we're also bored. We're all just talking to each other <laughs> just to, to let the, you know, whatever. But I think that a lot of it, and this is stuff that they've been doing for a hundred years in football, but it, just tendency stuff and saying, Hey, you know, the, when this team is in third and six, they always go over the middle of the field. And if they're third and four, they always go deep. And I think that that's, I think that that is just probably uh, processed better now. And it's more real time and you can get that kind of stuff in the booth. And that's why people have analytics guys in the booth, not just to say when to call timeouts or go for it on fourth down, but also give play calling suggestions. So I think it's more, I think the ability to listen to analytics is important. And I think that the coaches who have that information on the sideline are always going to be smarter than the ones who don't. 
See, I, I hope it's true. I just hear Mike McCarthy studied analytics and I feel like it's somebody that claims they went to anger management. Like I, yeah. I, I, cause it's, it, it, what happens is it comes down to game day situations it, when it is fourth and four, is he going to go with his gutters or going to listen? And he's got, you know, 15 seconds to make that decision. But you mentioned the Browns and the thing I'm excited about is they, they loaded up on big people. They got a new tackle right. in Conklin. Jack Conklin. Yep. They got a tight end in Hooper that can block, and they got Andy Janovich, the fullback. And I bringing in Stefanski, I remember, look, I did a podcast with Warren Sharp last year, and the one of the things we talked about was they went into the year wanting to run a ton of double tight end sets to go heavy because that's how Baker was was better, is when you expected the run, he could do play action. And when they lost in Joku in that Jets game, when he flipped over and broke his wrist, it threw everything mm-hmm. off. So now that you have Njoku and Hooper, you have Janovich, you have a better tackle in Conklin. Uh, I, I, I'm i hoping that they can use the play action for Baker because that's when he was so good that first year. Yeah, I mean, I think that if, if he can split, I think he was really bad last year, and I think that he inexplicably developed some very strange tendencies and I think that they can be coached out of him. And I think that we just all overlooked how bad of a coach Freddie kitchens was. And I just, and the fact that by the way, the both coaches who were fired that we're talking about here are on the same staff this year as with the New York giants. I think there's probably Mm. some lesson in there about that team. We we were making fun about chase Daniel earlier, but it it can mean so much to these quarterbacks to have a guy. For the Browns to sign Case Keenum excites me a little bit, not because, you know, hey, in a pinch he can come in, but Keenum had his best year when Stefanski was in the building. And I think Case is at that time where he'll compete with Baker, but it's not going to be like Baker Tyrod. And I, I think it'll be really Baker's first real mentor that he knows is there for him. And Baker's arm strength is so much better than Case's, but having a guy in there that's that it's just a whole new respect system. I'm my, my hopes are high for them. I agree. Speaking of the uh, AFC North, Joe Burrow at the end of 2020, we think what about what will we, what this time next year, what will we be saying about Joe Burrow? I hope what we're saying is, man, it's like they got two first round picks because Jonah Williams is back after being out all year. Like I, I really hope that that dude from Alabama comes back and mm-hmm. creates some time for Burrow because Burrow has such good feet and such good timing. I think Mixon, AJ Green, and and Ross can all be talented, but honestly, I I don't know because I don't know about Zach Taylor. I think it's going to be a rough year for Joe Burrow, but I think that he's going to make some plays that gets a lot of hope, and then. If the Bengals do what they did this offseason, actually spend money. Like when the Bengals signed DJ Reader, I was floored. I just didn't know the Bengals spent money in the offseason. If they can convince some people to come to Cincinnati, I think Joe Burrow could be great. But after this year, I do think it's going to be like a, you know, a five and 11, uh, four and 12 type of slow start. All right. We'll get you out of this, get you out of here on this. Give us your early highlight. It's only been a little bit of hosting TNT uh, mm. on on Tuesdays. Football, excuse me, basketball went away not long after uh, the show launched, and you guys uh, were getting a lot of attention for being a very good uh, pre uh, pre and oh, halftime thanks, and post game show. And uh, we miss it. But what's been the highlight so far with Shaq and and D Wade and and Candace? Um, I think for me, it's. Dude, there's something about being around people that are not just famous. They're famous, famous. Yeah. And like when Shaq walks into a room, 
it's like everybody's heartbeat stops that like that don't know him or have worked with him. So for me, when we're, we're shooting one of these things, he looks over and he goes, you ever see that video of the football player fallen? And I was like, do you mean like that weird <laughs> Bruce Smith interview? He's like, you know it, Lefko, we doing a prank. And I was like, wow, he knew my name was Lefko. That's dope. Yeah. And then he goes, all right, just start talking. And I'm like, all right, Giannis Antetokounmpo. And then he just fell back. And to watch a room of like, I don't know, 60 people freaking out. Cameras are capturing it all. Everybody's going nuts. People are yelling. The producers are going, roll with it, roll with it, roll with it. And then Shaq just kind of looks up at me and smiles. And you're like, what the hell just happened? Like you begin to see that there are certain people, they take one step and they create an earthquake. And Shaq is one of those people. And to just kind of be in the back kicking it after that and like laughing about it, that's that's when you realize the power of some people. And it's been really, really cool to mess with that and have a good time with that. Let me ask you a question because this is important. I feel like Shaq is in the zone where there are no norms about leaving him alone because he's famous. Do people just come up to him if you guys go to get a cup of coffee or something? Oh, no. You think he's getting to get a cup of coffee? I asked him, I asked him one time, I said, man, what do you think about uh, like going to a Kendrick concert? He's like, I don't go to concerts. He's like, when I was like in Orlando one time, I tried to go to a public place and a shot went off and I'm, I'm never going out again. No, he wants to, he wants to DJ. If there's a meal and we're at work, someone's going to like, someone's going to get it for him. Like he can't go out. He, he hasn't been on a plane in forever. It's just in, you know, like the, the, uh, Andre, the giant documentary. Yeah. where, Where they talked about, oh, he couldn't sit on a plane. It wasn't comfortable or he could, I mean, that is Shaq. And wow. one time I tried to say Ric Flair was the greatest wrestler of all time. And it was the first time that he looked me dead in the eye and, and said, you're wrong. And I was like, what? He goes, it's Andre the Giant. And it made it just clicked for me. And it's Shaq is larger than life. The, the cool thing, though, is, is every time we have a little kid come in, Shaq is the best with them. Like it's and I judge people based on how they are with kids. And it's it's yeah. cool to watch. Awesome. Well, Adam Lefko. Thank you for coming. Blast, so, man. so just just so everyone knows, Adam was unclear on whether or not this is on video or not. So he's wearing a very nice jacket. Not only did I have a jacket, I made like an espresso and I I cut oh my a little God. piece of lemon peel and I was going to just casually right in the middle go around the rim, but we'll make something happen. Just know that I We're, came. Prepared. You will be on Slow News Day. We're trying yes. to do them weekly. This will happen, and uh, and we can't wait for it. Adam, thanks for coming by. Appreciate you guys. Thanks, man. Danny Kelly, draft guru, DK, the dark Knight. Danny, how you doing, buddy? <laughs> I'm doing excellent. How are you doing? I'm doing okay. Uh, you were just telling us uh, you've discovered you're the first parent to ever discover that uh, putting an infant to sleep is hard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think there's multiple challenges that, that come with being a parent, but getting your child to go to sleep is got to be the most frustrating and challenging one of them all. Um, and I learned that this morning when my son would not go to sleep. So had to take him on about a two hour walk and he just stayed up the entire time. So, um, it is what it is. It was, it was actually kind of a nice, nice little walk. So made the most of it really early on in my career. Um, when I was in college, I had to cover a Marlins game and they're playing the giants and Barry Bonds obviously famously hated the media and there was a crowd around him and he didn't want to speak to the media. And so me and this other reporter who were camped out there was like our job to get a quote from Barry. He just filibustered by talking about how to tire out your children so they'll go to sleep. 
He was like, just put him in the front yard and give him a football and let him rip. And it's uh, actually, yeah, that's smart. And that's that. Okay, we're gonna do the prospects we're not talking about enough in this episode, mm-hmm. and hopefully, we talk about them so well that people start talking about them. Um, <laughs> I want to start with we've we've done the quarterback thing so much, and yeah, I think yeah. that there's the Tua narrative, the Joe Burrow narrative, even the Jordan Love narrative. The, the bunch of teams are doing virtual meetings with Jordan Love. I feel like Jordan Love is probably gonna get overdrafted. Yeah. Okay. Give me a quarterback. We're not talking enough about Danny Kelly. So I still feel like Jalen Hurts is flying under the radar a little bit now. Okay. Tell you know, us why. he's obviously he he's obviously a big name in terms of he played for Alabama. He led them to a couple of championship games in his freshman and sophomore seasons. You know, the story is he was replaced by Tua uh, in the title game. Ended up being the backup in 2018 and kind of had to transfer f- from there to Oklahoma. Um, but I think what he did at Oklahoma in addition to what he did at Alabama, obviously his leadership skills, his, his mobility, all that is, is going to be a part of the evaluation. But I think the improvement that he showed at Oklahoma this year as a thrower, I think is really, really important. And I think it still feels like we're overlooking him a little bit and, and maybe not talking about him enough as a day one slash day two guy. Like there's, there's actually now sort of these rumors and, and whispers that he's going to be one of those quarterbacks that teams trade back up to like the 30, 31st, 32nd spot in the first round and grab. So I think, I think, you know, Hertz is going to be a, you mean, you mean a Paxton Lynch type? <laughs> well, hopefully not. Hopefully not a Paxton Lynch in terms of his career. Um, no, I know. I was just, I'm just saying kind of the late, <laughs> late first round guy that everybody starts talking about. And all of a sudden someone, someone trades late first round and, and, and picks him maybe a little yeah. higher than he was supposed to go. I could definitely see that. I'm, happening. I'm not comparing the players. <laughs> well, you could you could compare him to maybe like Lamar Jackson too, and the the Ravens came back up into right. the first round, grabbed him. Um, that turned out to be a good pick. They do not regret that. Um, they maybe regret taking Hayden Hurst first because they just traded him, but you know that whatever. It's uh, water under the bridge. Um, so you know, just to kind of run through some of the accolades, I think about Hurst. Mm-hmm. He's going to be a little bit of a controversial or. Um, you know, not everyone's going to love him as a as a pro passer. He's not necessarily like a prototypical pocket passer. But I, as we've seen over the mm-hmm. last few years, you know, the NFL is more and more willing to work around guys and, and build offenses that fit their skill set. And Hertz, you know, he he showed a lot of improvement in accuracy this last season. He actually threw for thirty eight hundred plus yards, thirty two touchdowns. Um, in addition to his dynamic ability on the ground. He's not a, he's not a Lamar Jackson type runner. He's more like, I would say Russell Wilson esque in his ability to run. He's, he's kind of, you know, a a compact build. He's, he's a tough, rugged runner. He had, he scored 20 touchdowns on the ground last season. So um, he's clearly dangerous in the red zone. Ultimately, like he's not a perfect prospect. None of these guys are, Um, he, he struggles dealing with pressure at times. He bails from the pocket a little too early. Sometimes all those things are a concern going forward, but if you look, it, I was actually, I like to do this with, with draft, draft prospects is look back at scouting reports um, of players coming into the league and kind of just see how those scouting reports um, captured a certain player as they were thought of as a prospect. I was I was reading Lanzierling's uh, report on Dak Prescott, and there's some actually pretty interesting similarities between Dak's, um, his scouting report and the scouting report for Jalen Hurts, like the consensus scouting reports for Hurts. and. Mm-hmm. A lot of the things that are similar, um, his accuracy is a little bit of an issue. People worried about his pocket poise. 
Um, they were worried he was a little bit too um, willing to go run. And this is all talking about Dak Prescott. So this is like some very similar things to um, what people are saying about Jalen Hurts. Yeah. And then also sim- similarly, um, Prescott's accuracy has, has I think, gotten better based, based on where people saw him you know, in college, people were worried about that coming into the league, and he's he's become a very, very good, uh, accurate passer. And I think looking at what Hertz has done, you know, in the last couple of seasons, I think there's there's enough improvement there to think that teams can see that he has that skill set, and he could they they could improve his accuracy. They can they can sort of massage that part of the game um, in for him. And so I think I don't know. I'm just very very intrigued with Jalen Hurts, where he's going to land, um, what team he's going to get get with and, and kind of see if they can build an offense around him. Cause I think he's got a really dynamic skill set. He's not, like I said, he's not a prototypical pocket passer, but I do think he has the type of skill set that can succeed in the NFL. So I'm with you. I think that a quarterback like Jalen hurts who has shown a lot of ability and may not be, and has flaws, like you said, and he's not going to be a top 20 pick. I think that's the type of guy you take a flyer on because, you know, getting, Taking your scheme and using it to match a skill set of of a player who who has a lot of skills, I think is easier than ever. And we've talked a million a million different ways that that's true. As far as the rules have changed, offenses have changed, receivers, you know, they just just there are. It is easier than ever to to put a square peg in a round hole, so to speak, if you're not taking a quarterback who's ready. Remember, Dak Prescott came came in for an injured Tony Romo and looked great immediately. You can yeah. you can do things you weren't able to do 10 years ago at the quarterback position because it's easier because coaches are better. So the number one thing for Jalen Hurts is to get in a good coaching staff and get in a good offense and have success right away. If he doesn't do that, it might take a couple of years for him to develop. Um, but I'm, I, yeah. I, I agree with you that I do like uh, Jalen Hurts. All right, next one. So wanted to move to receiver real quick. Brandon Ayuk from Arizona State is is one of these guys that I'm sort of just, he, he's one of my guys, I'd say. Like, I really think he's an interesting player. Um, he's flown under the radar a little. I mean, people definitely know about him, but he's flying, flying under the the top like three or four receiver group uh, of Judy, C.D. Lamb, Henry Ruggs, even like a Denzel Mims, these guys. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Ayuk is really dynamic. He reminds me a little bit of DJ Moore in the sense that he's um, very, very good after the catch, very big physical guy who has explosiveness in his short area. You know, he, he can hit the home run. He, you can take a slant and take it all the way um, to the house. He's a, he's a very good returner. Um, so I think he's one of these guys that he might fall into the late second, into the early third, um, but he's he's got a really interesting skill set, a lot of explosiveness. He's a former JUCO transfer, um, so he took a kind of circuitous route to the draft. But um, I remember Jim Nagy from the Senior Bowl was saying that there he's spoken to a few teams that have this guy graded higher than they had Nikhil Harry coming in last year. And so, and Harry was obviously a first round pick. Now every team grades a little differently. Some teams might have had Harry lower, so you know there's obvious ca- caveats there, but. Um, I think I think Ayuk is a very interesting player. He's very uniquely built. Who has like really really long arms, um, kind of a shorter guy. He's like six foot six one, uh, but he he's very very explosive. So I, I think he's going to be a fun player to watch. I can't wait to see where he lands as well. G- give us one more receiver, Brian Edwards, South Carolina. Another one of my favorites. He's just kind of and and a lot of the guys that I've got on my list today kind of are 
maybe not getting talked about enough because they're they went through injuries in in this last season or they they had to skip some of the the combine senior bowl things like that. Brian Edwards is that guy. He he broke his foot, I believe, and so he had to miss the senior bowl and the combine. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, he probably would have ended up being um, you know, talked about as maybe like a second round pick. Now he might fall into the third or fourth, but I think he's a very good player. He was a four-year contributor for South Carolina. I mean, he put up pretty impressive numbers. He had 44 catches for 590 yards and four touchdowns as a 17-year-old playing in the SEC. So I think he's he's got a lot of potential. He he reminds me of um, James Jones a little bit in, in, in just the sense that he's, you know, thickly built, very physical, like strong hands, strong route runner, can run after the catch. Um, he just kind of has a complete skill set. He, he never posted eye-popping numbers at South Carolina because... You know, just a, a their offense just wasn't that high uh, high octane type offense. But um, <clears throat> he's always had a good share of of their production, and he's just a good player, I think. And so he's another guy I think that people aren't really talking about a ton because he missed the combine, missed the Senior Bowl. But um, he has a chance to be really good in the NFL. All right, I like this rubric of us just building out a team. So give us two corners. <laughs> yeah. So let's see here. Going going down to the corner group. Uh, Jeff Gladney from TCU, one of my favorites. Um, he's the kind of guy. So I, I remember very vividly popping on the tape and I was like, okay, I love this guy. He's, he's just really fun to watch. He's, he's, uh, um, really, really physical, really, really aggressive. He's only 5'10, 191. He's kind of, he's really kind of a skinny guy, like rail thin, but he's very, very athletic and very, very strong. I saw on, uh, Bruce Feldman's freaks list from the athletic, which is a, a must read every year. He yes. apparently squats 620 pounds, which is, again, is Saquon Barkley range. And this guy's 191 pounds. Uh, benches 400, power cleans 400. So he's he's like country strong. Um, he, he's very, I just like watching him play, like really lightning quick feet. Um, good ball skills. He has three interceptions, 26 pass breakups in the past two seasons. He can kind of play outside, inside. He got some reps over the slot. Um, he is sort of the definition of a scrappy corner. So I like him a lot. Yeah, I would say that you mentioned the freaks list. I was actually thinking about the freaks list earlier today because obviously one of, one of the things that I value is athleticism. And I think that that a lot of times you can just draft the athlete, and if you're a good enough coaching staff, you can kind of figure out figure out the the nuances of it all and make it fit. Yeah. And I think that the freaks list is usually kind of a prequel to my draft crush list. Like two years after they appear on the freaks list, they appear on the <laughs> April 10th podcast I do. And I'm like, man, I love this guy. I'd pick him in the third round. All right. Yeah, uh, who's the other corner? Uh, the other corner that I like, again, he ha- he was injured last season. So, you know, he kind of fell to the wayside in terms of the hype. But Bryce Hall from Virginia, I remember – Last season, towards the end of last season, um, people were talking about him as a potential future first rounder. He led college football with 21 pass breakups um, in 2018. And Bryce Hall, Virginia, um, good size. He's a tall guy. I think he's like 6'1". He's a former receiver who switched to defense. So he's got those receiver type ball skills, his ability to turn. I love those guys. You're, You're Richard Sherman's. Exactly. Exactly. He actually reminds me uh, a lot of, you know, Sam Shields was like that too. Oh, really? Interesting. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I think it I think it helps too just because, you know, you're coming you're you're playing defense with a mindset of you know what receivers want to do, the things that they're trying to do to set up cornerbacks. And um, so having that experience, I think, can certainly help you. You're able to kind of understand what the offense wants to do better too. And so I always kind of like I like that 
bit. I mean, a, a lot of guys play both um, both sides of the ball in high school, but he was he was a really good receiver. So um, I think he's he's very interesting. He reminds me a little bit of Marcus Peters in the way that he he I think you know he can play press. He's got the size and length to do that, but he likes to play off where he's sort of reading in the backfield, watching routes develop and jumping into passing lanes. And so he's got that sort of Marcus Peters mentality where he wants to sort of uh, bait quarterbacks into throwing the ball and then jump in into the passing lane. So um, he's one of my, I think he's probably going to be like a third or fourth rounder with a chance to raise up a little bit higher than that. But I think whoever picks him is going to get a good player. Let's switch sides of the ball. Let's, let's book on the tackles here. Couple guys I really like. Another TCU player, Market. Uh, sorry, Lucas Nyang, who again injured last year. Um, he had a hip injury that kept him out the last part of the season, and even when he played early on in the season, he kind of had to um, play around the injury. His, his pass set is really funky looking. If you watch the tape, mm-hmm. he just kind of he he backs up almost like straight backwards instead of getting into it sort of like the kick step or whatever. And so mm-hmm. his his techniques were a little bit weird and and. Um, apparently that was related to his hip injury, just kind of had to like mitigate that injury and, and it just didn't feel right to him. So he quit or he didn't quit. He, he had, he elected to do surgery halfway th- through the season, missed kind of the, all the postseason pre-draft stuff. Um, but when you look at him, he's a very athletic, big guy, um, really long, you know, easy mover. I think he's a perfect fit for a zone blocking scheme. Um, he's a right tackle only. So I think that could limit his, his value a little bit, or at least it seems that, mm-hmm. that he probably, he, he probably hasn't, um, he's, no one's going to project him as a left tackle. I don't think, but, um, I think you could plug and play him at right tackle. And so, um, he's an interesting guy to me. The other guy that, you know, everybody's talking about, uh, Makai Becton from Louisville and with good, right. I mean, yeah. he's, he's, he's a huge, huge dude with amazing athleticism, but Isaiah Wilson from Georgia, another guy with just prodigious size, an absolute unit size. And so, um, he's six foot six, three, yes. uh, three, yes. absolute unit is what I want to hear. <laughs> you also call, you also said this guy is, is quote, just a badass. <laughs> he is man. I, I, he's just one of those guys that's fun to watch play. Um, he likes to, you know, reach out and, and touch someone if that, you know what I mean? And they, like, he has heavy hands. Um, he's a former five-star recruit. He was a three-sport athlete in high school. He also did lacrosse and wrestling. Um, there's a hilarious and awesome video of him um, being like a situational wildcat uh, running back slash quarterback in high school. He's just like, just running down like these 160-pound like high school kids. And so... Um, definitely look for that on, on YouTube because it's hilarious, but, um, you know, he, he's got, he's just got really good power. Um, like I said, really strong hands. He, he's probably a right tackle only, but I think he's the kind of guy who in like a power scheme or, or just like a, a straight hill, a downhill blocking type scheme, I could, mm-hmm. he could do really well. Just, he, you know, he's not super fleet of foot, but he's just really powerful. So he's another guy that, to keep in mind. All right. Lightning round one line on each safety. I love Ashton Davis from Cal and I'm definitely, I just want to say I'm not comparing him to Earl Thomas, but he does have like that on field on, speed. D- Danny, Danny, I said one line, <laughs> which means you are comparing him to Earl Thomas. <laughs> no, we had to he, stop the sentence in the middle and get and compare him to Earl Thomas. No, 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 no. I'm not going to, I'm not going to, you're not catching me in that. I will say he, his, gotcha. his on field gotcha speed, his on field speed is ridiculous. And that is the thing that's kind of reminiscent of Earl Thomas. He's got to, he's got to figure out his instincts and, and develop as a, as a safety, but really, really exciting speed on field. So I love him. 
Um, going to the edge position, two guys that edge. are kind of like third, probably third rounders. Maybe you know they might might sneak into the second round, but two guys I really really like: Daryl Taylor from Tennessee, Jabari Zuniga from Florida. Both of yeah. those guys are as explosive as you can imagine. Zuniga actually blew up the combine. He's one of the most explosive guys at the combine. Uh, four six four forty, thirty three inch vert, ten foot seven inch broad. Um, he again was injured this last season, so that kind of like made him fall to the wayside. Um, and then T- Taylor's just a big, strong, explosive guy, so I really, really like him. And then finally, moving to defensive tackle, uh, Raquan Davis from Alabama, six foot six, three hundred eleven pounds. He's about the the beefiest dude that you could imagine. He's just he, he's got like tree trunk legs, like massive, massive arms. You can't move him on the field. Um, He's he's just the type of guy that you plug in. Like the, he, I bet you the Steelers will like this guy. Just plug him into the into the defensive line, and he just kind of dominates in his spot. If he could unlock his pass rush, I think he has all pro potential. But that's that's a big if. And so I think, you know, if he's not in the second round, he might fall a little bit. But it's just because he needs to still unlock his pass rush potential. Danny Kelly, I feel smarter. <laughs> Thank I feel you. smarter thank after that after that 20 minutes. Um, thank you so much. Um, enjoy your son's nap, and we'll talk to you next week. All right, sounds good, man. Thank you.